Hey there, this is Charlie O'Shields back with another episode of Sketching Stuff. Since it's around the time of Halloween, I thought it would be fun to have a selection of stories that fit the occasion. As a kid, I loved this time of year, and sure, the ability to wander from house to house collecting candy was a huge selling point. Well, that and getting to dress up as whatever character I was into that year, my costume started out with Looney Tunes characters like Sylvester the Cat and quickly morphed into Star Wars characters since the very first Star Wars movie was released the month after I turned six years old. I've always just loved the spooky fun of Halloween, but I'm far too old now to go begging for candy. That said, I'm the perfect age to share some bits of lore, silly stories, and fun memories related to my own Halloween hijinks. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. It only looks like a monster, but it's really cute. Spooky Spider I've always been scared of spiders, but during the first Halloween month when I very first started sketching, I attempted to doodle wash one. As I was finishing it, I started to get really creeped out, so I think this was a good sign that it was getting the likeness across. Spiders are just about the spookiest creatures on the planet. I saw a fake spider once when I was with Philippe and when we went to one of those Halloween pop-up shops. We didn't intend to buy anything as we don't intend to do anything special for Halloween, but we wanted to see what was trending. The store was conveniently set up in rows, so moving across the store you could shop sweet kids, bad kids, unoriginal adults, creepy goth adults, cosplay lovers, can't get a date geeks, and party sluts. I'm always amazed by the vast array of products at these stores and never disappointed by the selection. My favorite are the clever couples costumes. It's all there, whether you want to be bacon and eggs, peanut butter and jelly, or a plug and socket. You're sure to find the perfect costume that's just so us. Next to these amazing finds were the large fake butts, fake boobs, and the ever-clever endowment in a cast, enlarged to comic proportions to ensure you're the life of the party, assuming other equally clever partygoers didn't shop the same store. The only thing I ever found fun about going to large Halloween costume parties was watching the people who had waited all year to show off their most juvenile sexual fantasies. For my costume, I always used the same black cape my mother had made me my senior year of high school when I sang Music of the Night from Phantom of the Opera for a show choir performance. I didn't go as the Phantom, but would simply powder my face, add some eyeliner, and say I was Dracula. It was my easy go-to costume and I just stuck with it. I had to watch the amount of eyeliner as one year I'm pretty sure it was a bit too feminine. It was too late to fix it, so I just spent the evening introducing myself as Dragula. The only time I ever strayed from my standby was the last party I attended a few years ago. It was the day of the party and a couple of friends and I were out shopping for last minute costumes. We decided we should all go as sailors under a Fleet Week theme, so we went to a military surplus store. Once we had donned our costumes, we looked less like sexy sailors and more like a relatively redundant version of the village people. It was at this point I decided to simply give up and stop going to these. So this Halloween, I'll be comfortably at home and doing my people watching from a safe distance via Facebook. I find this far more enjoyable because I can leave the party whenever I like. 
For those of you who love these parties, I say party on, friends. I love that you do. But for me, I'm going to once again honor my fears by avoiding all the spooky spiders this year and putting poor Dragula back in the closet. Raven. Once when I very first started sketching, I was doing a project called Cabinet of Curiosities, and I wanted to try doodle washing a skull for the first time, but after I did, it seemed a bit sad all by itself, so I stuck a raven on top to keep it company. I chose a raven because Philippe and I had been in Barnes & Noble recently, and I saw an Edgar Allan Poe book, and it made me think of the famous poem. In the story of the raven, this particular guy was perched on a bust of Pallas Athena, a symbol of wisdom, but I'd already drawn a skull, so there you go. The book I saw was in the bargain book section of the store. This is such an awesome section because it includes so many gifts you never thought to give someone and they never wanted to receive. The kits for learning how to do just about any skill are there for a price that's permanently discounted, so you're assured you're giving a gift that never held any real value. I nearly bought the book I saw, which was The Complete Works of Edgar Allan Poe, because I was a huge fan of his writing when I was young. The book I had back then had full-color illustrations and contained just a selection of his most famous stories and poems. I loved that book and remember it well. This book was a letdown because it only had black and white chapter illustrations and was larger than the annotated King James Bible sitting next to it, an odd pairing to be sure. I realize now that being a fan of Poe when I was so young was a bit odd. His works are dark and filled with angst and creepiness. He was also once quoted as saying, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity, and was found wandering the streets wearing someone else's clothes babbling deliriously just before dying. And like something from one of his own stories, the actual cause of his death remains a mystery to this day. When he was found, he was taken to Washington College Hospital, where he died at 5 a.m. on Sunday, October 7th. He was only 40 years old and never became coherent enough again to ever explain what had caused his condition. If any medical records were made, they've all been lost. Though many have asserted various cases for his death, up to and including a murder conspiracy, we will never know for sure what exactly happened during those lost five days that ultimately led to the end of one of the most famous authors of mystery in the macabre. Poe created some of the most memorable and chilling stories ever written and left behind quite a legacy in the short time he was on this earth, and his raven is still one of his spookiest creations. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that's been dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out the shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore.
witch's broomstick. As we get closer and closer to Halloween, a witch's broomstick seems like a perfectly good thing to sketch. I'm not entirely sure what a true witch would prefer, but I assumed it would be something handcrafted, and since I don't paint people, you'll simply have to imagine the witch just out of frame. The actual history of why broomsticks are associated with witches is fascinating, though potentially vulgar to some. It all started at a time centuries ago when people were just learning about ways to create hallucinogenic drugs. Using nefarious ingredients such as hemlock, nightshade, henbane, and mandrake, they would create potions that when applied properly could give you the sensation of flying. If ingested, these potions cause nausea, so it was quickly discovered that a topical approach would work much better. Let's just say that the potion worked best when applied to hard-to-reach areas, and so something like a broom was helpful in the application. I'll let you Google the actual details yourself, but it provides the link to why broomsticks are still today associated with witchcraft. By the time the 16th and early 17th centuries rolled around, you would find a preponderance of images that involve witches riding up out of chimneys. But it's not hard to connect the dots on this one. In a stupidly patriarchal society, I would assume many women dreamed of hopping on a broom and flying up out of a chimney. And perhaps this connection with rebellion is what makes a witch one of the most popular Halloween costumes of all time. There's something fun about Halloween that allows people to challenge the norm and express themselves in totally unique ways. It's a spirit that I happily endorse, and as artists, I think it's one we should always embrace. Most of you who read my rambles on doodlewash.com or via this podcast know that I'm not a fan of rules that shouldn't be broken. In truth, I rather love rules in general as they're a guidepost one can use to know if you're actually trying something different. Rules are great for that purpose, but when they become doctrine, I get a little antsy. We live in a world that's so ready to tell us what we should or shouldn't do. Everyone around us has an opinion and they're always ready to offer it up as fact. I too have opinions I've now transformed into fact, but I know they're only my personal facts of life. Things that I have decided to be true simply because it feels true to me. I've spent a lifetime wading through ideas and ideals that come my way, and in the end, most of what I believe is almost silly in its simplicity. I think we're all creative and wonderful beings capable of magic. Not the kind that scared the Puritans, but the real magic that can make the world a better place. The kind that isn't so much about spells and potions as much as simply being good, honest, present, loving, and open to new ideas. It's simple, I told you, but magical in practice. And this Halloween season, the most creepy time of year, it's as close as I come to riding on a witch's broomstick. Pumpkins in the hay. I was once trying to draw food throughout the month, but ended up with a prompt of hay, and I realized that hay isn't a food item unless you're a horse, but I decided to pair it with some fall pumpkins. My favorite part of the year is seeing the little hay bales appear outside of the grocery stores and Home Depot. 
each stacked with all different kinds of pumpkins, it's a sure sign that autumn has officially arrived and Halloween will be heading our way soon. Selecting and carving a pumpkin this early, of course, would result in a ghastly mess by the time the day arrived, but very soon that's just what we'll be doing in our house. We might be just a bit of a stretch, as the dog and I will simply approve the design as Philippe does the actual carving. I'm a bit clumsy and not really good around sharp objects. That's probably why I never learned to cook properly, but I can eat like a pro, and this is my favorite season to do so. When I was young, I used to go on hay rides. Those were when you went to some remote farm and hopped on a wooden flatbed structure covered in hay bales and pulled by a tractor. Looking back, the entire idea seems a bit weird, but it was really fun to do in the evening when just the moonlight was shining. As I got older, the trick in those instances was to sit next to the person you had a crush on as the chill in the air forced the notion of cuddling for extra warmth. I was too painfully shy for that, so I could usually be found shivering alone, just staring at the stars. As much as I longed to be one of those people with a significant other, I felt in that moment that it was just me in the sky. I can't really think of anything more significant than that. It was incredible. And the sheer awe of all of those stars miles away from the harsh lights of the city is still a memory I treasure. It was like traveling to another world. I felt so small yet happy, staring up into a galaxy of mysteries that I never usually got the opportunity to see. So yeah, maybe I didn't have that special person cuddling me back then, but I still had an extraordinary time. I grew out of my awkwardness and went on to become more cuddly in later years. But the young boy who didn't quite fit in is still there with me like an old friend. He's the constant reminder that sometimes it's okay to simply enjoy the stars alone. No matter how much you want to fit in, there's always something so wonderfully unique about you that it's not quite possible. That's why I love filling my world with artists. We get that feeling. We know that though we share a common bond, our styles and approaches are vastly different. And it doesn't matter one bit. We connect on a level that's not so literal. One that's much like staring into a field of stars, knowing they're all part of the same sky. We're all so unique and beautiful in the midst of a world that can often be common and ordinary, like stumbling across the wonderfully contrasting beauty that can always be found with pumpkins in the hay. The Invisible Man I was asked once if I would draw my Halloween costume, but not planning to attend a party, I didn't have one. It was also a selfie art day, so I wasn't sure how to combine both challenges into a single doodle wash. I have many pairs of glasses, but that day I was wearing the very first pair of glasses that Philippe had picked out for me. I figured this might help me solve my dilemma, so I present to you my latest treasure, an extremely conceptual selfie in my Halloween costume for that year, The Invisible Man. These particular glasses are special to me because Philippe was still in Paris when he helped me pick them out. At the time, we had no idea that we would ever actually end up together in reality. After sending him multiple selfies of me trying on various pairs of glasses, this was his final choice. 
I figure they qualify as a self-portrait because on justifying his selection, Philippe had said, they just seem the most you. In order to achieve the effect of only floating glasses, it would also mean attending the party entirely in the nude, which for the majority of parties is still considered taboo. But I guess since it would be impossible to actually see me, I could only offend people who had an inordinate distaste for Ray-Bans. The concept of being the invisible man is fascinating to me, not just for the ability to hide in plain sight, but for all of the questions it evokes. For example, if while attending this Halloween party naked, would it be considered rude of me to sit on the host's furniture? When greeting my friends, would it suddenly seem inappropriate to hug? If someone else decided to attend the party as an actual naked person, would my costume be mocked for its lack of authenticity? These little what-if scenarios that play out in my head are usually what stops me from attending parties in the first place. It's even more exhausting because now everyone assumes after months of not seeing them that you've been scouring their Facebook page and know everything that's been happening to them. Unfortunately, that's precisely what I haven't been doing. I show up to the party like a clueless fool who's suffering from a terrible case of amnesia. I'm too cheery with Sheila, who just lost her father. I smile and ask Joe how he's doing after he was just diagnosed with cancer, and I forget that it's Stephanie's birthday, even though this was apparently the very reason for this regrettable affair. In my daydreams, I imagine myself a favored guest and someone who can happily mingle with anyone who comes along, but in reality, I'm that awkward, uninformed guy who just said the wrong thing. And although I am quite thankfully fully clothed, I'm red-faced and suddenly wishing I could just become the Invisible Man. Contemplating the Moon Though I'm fairly sure when I added a prompt of cats one month, I was thinking of black cats of Halloween fame, but instead ended up with a random little cat. Not quite black or white, but a bit of both. And if you want to apply this better to the season, one can imagine him contemplating the moon. I've been in this dreamy state myself lately, my mind rushing from idea to idea while occasionally stopping, much like this, to sort it all out properly, just staring into the distance for a moment, hoping the answer might shine down on me. Sometimes I'm lucky enough for the proper epiphany to occur, but most of the time, it's just a bit of staring into space. Either way, it's a nice way to calm a restless mind every now and again. And when I return to what I'm doing, I'm at least a bit more relaxed for having taken that moment. Daydreaming is one of my favorite things to do. My evening dreams are too quickly forgotten, but the ones made during the day always stay with me the most. And if I'm brave enough to pursue them, sometimes they even manage to come true. When I was a kid, I dreamed of being on stage. It wasn't the kind of dream one craves for fame or being noticed. I didn't really want that at all. I was simply chasing the idea that I could be someone else entirely for a time. This to me was an incredible thing. I loved to pretend I was a different person in a different world. I wasn't trying to escape from any type of bad reality. I was just wanting to experience something totally new. 
I wondered what it would be like to live someone else's life for a time, to feel what they felt and imagine what they might imagine, to actually dream someone else's dreams for a time. My own daydreaming paid off eventually when I was cast in my first school show. I was only a nameless member of the chorus, but I approached it with all the fervor and gusto one might had they actually attained a leading role. I don't think my character even had a name, but I made one up for him, of course. I can't actually remember now what name I chose. What I do remember is that I took the tiny part I was given and made it into something bigger. That little success turned into more and more, and soon I was a professional actor for a time, jumping into lives I'd never lived in hopes of bringing a character to life. It was an incredible journey and one that I feel very thankful to have experienced today. Though I'm not sure I was ever that astounding on stage, it taught me an important lesson in empathy, that ability to understand and feel what another person might be feeling. And along with this, perhaps one of the most important lessons I've ever had the pleasure to acquire, that everyone, no matter who I might meet, has something to teach me. From that point on, my teachers in life grew exponentially. Everywhere I turned, I could find bits of wisdom and new thinking that I could knit into the fabric of my life. Today, not much has changed. I'm continually surrounding myself with people who can teach me what I need to know. And I'm thankful for each of you who've joined me in this community and share your bits of wisdom along the way. I'm in constant awe and admiration most days, often just sitting off to the side like a little cat contemplating the moon. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. Thank you.